is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, good evening everybody. Welcome to another edition of In Conversation. Now my guest today, I don't really know where to start. Because if ever somebody's got some tales to tell, it's today's guest. He's played cricket for Australia. He's owned uh, a winner of the Cheltenham Gold Cup. He's owned a champion racing uh, greyhound. Um, What else can I say about him? He's probably one of the most famous professional gamblers in the country. I'm talking about Harry Finlay. Harry, it's good to speak to you. Even only all right, yeah. Um, I certainly never played for Australia. I was I was in the in the dressing room, but I, well, you're going to you're going to tell go. us about that in a minute, aren't you? So, um, but look, Harry, your, your your claim to fame, if you like, is that you know you had a bet of over two million pound on the um, All Blacks to beat France in the two oh seven uh, Rugby World Cup, um, which sadly didn't go the right way. No. But um, how did you get into how did you get into Gambling, you know, I mean, from an early age, what 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 was the sort of key that get you going? The spark. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, it wasn't as as a real youngster. It was just the very basic things like bingo. I was. I remember going to Great Yarmouth when I was eight and being obsessed with winning this six wins for this blue vase I wanted to get for my mum. Yeah. And I remember. I think that was the first potential hook uh, that I can remember. And then. Basically, when we went to start grammar school, age 12, um, it, it, it was like pitch and toss, fives against the wall, poker dice, three-card brown. Never liked cards. I, even, even I remember very, very early, I still, it's well, still well at school, I remember thinking, betting with your mates, trying to win your mates' money. That, that was never really for me. I always was against the bookies. Yeah. <laughs> three-card brag, I must admit, takes me back. And, and poker dice, you remember Yeah, that was poker dice is what that... Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's in the book with Aiming. Aiming start with He said he have ever seen these before, and that yeah. was potentially the start of it. Yeah. yeah. And and from there, obviously you haven't turned back. But I mean, how quickly did you get to the point where you were going racing or going dog racing or whatever? Oh, first night of the dogs age, just before my sort of late fifteen, early, just before my sixteenth birthday, I went dog racing and uh, didn't know what it was. Didn't know what it was before. Was heard about it. I was. In, Horse racing that afternoon for the first time, I heard about the dogs, and as soon as I saw one dog race, I was that was it for me. I just couldn't, couldn't believe my eyes, couldn't believe 
you know, I couldn't believe it how exciting I found watching Grand's racing and still the same now. And how many um how many dogs have you owned? I mean I know we will get oh. on to Big Fella Big Fella Fags later, but Oh so many. I bought my first one at, at Tralee on a on I bought uh, Kerry Head for four hundred quid. Never had three, never had thirty pence, but I did add forty quid and bought the dog for four hundred because I fell in love with him at the sales at Tralee when I was sixteen. Yeah, uh, no, I'd have been eighteen, um, eighteen, nineteen, first year at Clonmel that was. So that would have been my first dog, um, and then I've owned. I've I, I got a lot of pleasure owning dogs. Chiquita Banana was a, a, a bitch I bought. That she she ended up being an absolute champion. Got to the Irish Derby final after I bought her and was. The best day in England for about eighteen months. She was. Uh, I looking back on it, I think I got more enjoyment out of Chiquita Banana running than possibly the horses. You know that mm. I only got into horses through through my from my mother trying to keep my mother occupied during her, her, her retirement. So um, yeah, a lot of great memories from owning from owning greyhounds, and of course a lot of them, most of them become your pets afterwards and your yeah, mates. And yeah. uh, I think that. That, that element of it makes owning dogs really special. Mm. But um, you know, you know, looking back on it, um, you went to your first horse racing meeting when you were fifteen. What, can you remember where it was? Yeah, it was at Newbury. Newbury. I remember having two pound and approaching in an obvious chase, light blue colours. Remember it like it was yesterday. I remember. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's crazy. I I, I can remember, remember so vividly all, all the dog race, all the best dog racing from you know around that era. Yeah. Early eighties, I remember you know the big races at Wembley, Gailey Noble and Lynn Acre in the final of the Blue Ribbon, like it was yesterday. <laughs> incredible, incredible. So um, let's just go through my list of of topics here. Um, I, I, I know you sort of want to play down your your, um, your the, the World Cup thing, but let's get that out of the way because it is it is it is you, as I said to you off. Yeah, well, the, the All Blacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I I mean, can't, yeah. We, we can't not touch on it. I mean, you know, how did that come about, really? Well, I, I just, um, my pal Jim was a massive All Black fan as well, and I think Daniel Carter was the real scene. I think Daniel Carter, if, you know, you just, how can you not like Daniel Carter? I just thought he was a god. Yeah. And ultimately, that was the that was his injury that, that, that cost me the money, ultimately. But, um, no, I, I really thought that that, that that was the one, the two years leading up to it, there wasn't one single time when... Um, I didn't think they were they were they were real good things. So you started betting on it two years ahead of the well, payment. Well, I, I uh, just over yeah, just under two years, about twenty years, yeah, just under two years before I started betting them at fractional odds against. I had a good position. I was on at five to win four when the price was seven to win four. Mm. But as I've often commented since, it went wrong in the first night of the of the actual tournament when when France got beat by Argentina in yeah. Paris, which meant that that fateful night. In Cardiff that I, we went to, I bought that. I had the box there that night, thinking we're going to be playing Argentina, and we're going to be like 16, 18 or one on. Argentina weren't as strong then as they are now, and uh, thought it would be a great night, no pressure. And suddenly we're playing the French, oh, yeah. and we're two to eleven, and the French are the French, and it, it, it went tits up. Mm. Must have been very difficult, and I, 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 you know, I've read your book. And obviously, you know, you, you were, you know, very concerned about your, your gardener, but in particular, it put, was it twenty-eight grand? Twenty-eight put, grand, yeah. yeah, put yeah. on. But I mean, which I think is is it's great that you should feel so. I mean, I don't mean it's a juice way, but I mean, you know, he, was, he, he, you, he, he you cared. That's the point. He 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 took. He was in the box with us, and he took defeat better than any of us. Yeah. 
Um, poor Alex, he, he 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 lost the plot. He he was a bit emotional, and and we, you know, it was it was the last ten minutes were tough because you know they needed a, 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 a drop goal would have been good enough, but yeah, yeah. Dan, Dan Carter's replacement was injured as well, so there was no one on the pitch had ever really gone for a drop goal. And we basically spent the last 10 minutes screaming, go for a drop goal if you miss, you'll get another chance. But yeah. they they hung their hat on the try and, and it went wrong. But uh, no, I mean, to be looking back on it, I got lucky because I, when that draw, when that game went wrong, when they lost that, when France beat Argentina, lost to Argentina, I should have cut my position by at least 25, 30% and I never, but, Fortunately, at half-time with, with France, 11-3 uh, down, I, I, I did a bit of business there and saved sort of 25% of my money, which if I hadn't have done that, um, then I would have been really annoyed at myself because yeah. that would have you know that would have been a bigger mistake than doing the, doing the actual bid bit. So that's the way it goes. But you talk about the gardener. There was other people that uh, I, I was a lot of people. I, for a long, long time, I said to people, you have one bet, this is it, have a have a five to win four, have a whatever, and yeah, yeah. yeah, it was painful. Mm, I'm sure it was. I can't even think what it must have been like. To be <laughs> but it's time for the first of Harry's musical choices, and it's called "Being Boiled." Sounds really good by the Human League. Okay, ready. Let's do it. Thank you. 
Talking generally, um, Harry, I mean, you know, you're a gambler. You say that, and that's fine. And nothing wrong with being a gambler. I am myself. So, you know, but I mean, uh, you know, how have, how have you learned so much? Because you, you've clearly got a huge amount of knowledge, not not just about gambling, but I mean about the, how the prices are worked out and, and how the whole thing kind of works. And, and you were saying earlier about, you know, the fact that computers run the whole thing now rather than human beings, and it makes a big difference to it. You know, how did you learn all that from, from a 15-year-old to, to now? I, I just think that I'm pretty good at it. I'm not, I found my maths O-level startling. I could never, was never interested in um, trigonometry or algebra mm. and stuff like that. But no. simple, basic percentages I was always good at. And probability, I suppose, I'm, I'm you know, a combination of that and... and, and you know, and, and experience with sport, and I've always sort of been able to price things up. You know, I think that that percentage is is, is a pretty easy concept, and I, I've, yeah. you know, I, I've priced things up all my life. I was into sport betting before anyone else was. I was when other when I was 16, 17, 18, I was looking to bet on snooker and football hackers, and 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 I, you know, more than more than anyone else, I was well known as a sports dog. Yeah. And I've always been known as a dog sports punter, right? It's more my friends that you know. My best pal Glenn, who does all the horses. I don't today. I couldn't tell you we're meeting, but I can. I know we're having we're having a couple of bets, but it'll be what Glenn tells me to do with the horses. Whereas I've always been a sports punter, and I've watched more sport. I've never had a job. I I had five jobs when I was sixteen and lost them all within within three or four weeks and couldn't cope at all with working. So you know, when people talk about wealth, and to me, my wealth is. Um, having watched every British Open since I was 13, 14, most yeah. the early ones with my father, who was Jack Nicholas Mad, and and um, so uh, to me, to me, uh, you know, watching watching sport, and I and I, I enjoy watching sport now as much, at least as much as I've always have done, and you know, what, what, <laughs> imagine a life without watching sport. I can't, I just can't even imagine the concept. I, I really do still enjoy enjoy it immensely. When you when you look at a uh, take a horse any horse you know yeah uh, let's say it's nine to four yeah on on the bookies page yeah you would turn around and probably say to me well actually I rate it as well uh, uh, weight or whatever yeah you know well how how do you arrive at that in your mind that different price to well, the I'll price be, that they've got yeah well a racing I'll be asking my racing man what he thinks but 
with, with say a football team for example we've say you've got the Premier League fixtures when yeah. we started betting with Tony Bloom on the Asian handicaps his way initially was for three of us to price up our prices and go in the go in the middle and that, that's a good way of doing it and we'd you know, before you know, we'd look at a fixture. We'd look at a fixture and say, "What percentage chance of Villa got of beating West Ham?" And the three yeah. of us would. And and you know, if I was, you know, have have Premier League games are sort of fairly easy to price up, but you know, it's when when the prices are different or a lot different to what you make them. That's when you when you step in. But I, I as a gambler, you know, I like I like people to hold my hand. I like people to I call it pissing in the pot. I like. Everyone, a lot of great gamblers, a lot of good judges, yeah. not such good gamblers, like being on their own. They, they like to, you know, put, put, put up or something and no one else goes for it and not me. I, I, I prefer it when everyone likes the same thing. If I really fancy someone to win something and then a couple of my mates say, well, not for me, or that would, that would, that would, 99 times out of 100, that would mean me reducing my stakes. Well, don't in your mind then, basically. Well, basically, you know, a lot of gamblers only like their own opinion. Like, yeah, you know, um, and, and but I've always been more of a you know of a of of a, of, a, of trying to get as many people's and certainly working, seeing how Tony Bloom operates, seeing how Benham and the mathematicians operate, they'd be the same. They'd always want as much information, as many people pissing in the pot as, as you can. And I'm, I've always, I've always been like that. Do you, do you find? I mean, for example. Um, I've got connections to Yeovil Town, as you know. Now, Yeovil play in the National League. Yeah. Um, I find, when I do my accumulators on a Saturday, yeah. that, that I stand a far better chance, in my mind, maybe I'm wrong, of doing the National League, because I follow the National League, because I follow Yeovil. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. If I was... You've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, there would be... There will be a team of young lads who do something like the National League, and you've got much more chance, because... And we do, we, you know, there's the odd tip goes around for National League tip, and there'd be the punters would be well ahead because there would be, you know, there's a chance that the, the price, say, a dollar eighty, ball and wood or whatever, or mm. with injuries and maybe COVID strike, you you could easily yeah. go and get sort of four or five hundred pound on something mm. like that at four to five when the re, the real price is probably two to five. Yeah, and that you you've got no chance of getting that in the Premier League. So no. yeah, if I, I think if. Four or five young lads come to me and said, look, we're betting on football. I'd say, well, you've got to bet the Asian handicaps where you're betting to four or five percent. Only ever bet on two runner races. Don't ever bet, you know, on three runner races when you don't need to, uh, unless there's a standout, obviously, to get on. But I'd be certainly something like that or or a sport where not, not one of the major, you know, National League football or lower league Spanish or whatever. That's You've got much more chance of... Um, yeah. Of nicking a few quid. So, so when you say the the Asian markets, for example, if I said to you, okay, uh, Harry, I want to do a bet on the Asian market, how would I do it? Because I wouldn't have a clue. Well, it's uh, it's staggering, really, because the book, the concept of the bookmakers here is always to have the three, the took the home, the way, and the draw. Yeah. Um, and uh, whereas in Asia, they treat the, every football match like a roulette wheel, red and green, a uh, red black. And agree, yeah, literally the same sort of percentages, three or four percent for the house. So Man City against Manchester United yesterday, instead of being four to five Man City, five to two the draw, four to one United, it would be nine to ten Man City and twenty-one to twenty against Man United all the draw, mm. two runners against three, 
Yeah. So invariably, well, throughout life, the, 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 whether you're a billionaire betting in millions of pounds in the Far East, or if you're a, a waiter betting in fifty hundred bars, you're, you're getting much better value than the UK punters. But, but I mean, when you say the, the Asian market, I mean, how do I get to the Asian market? Are they, are they, are they... <coughs> well, some British firms, some British firms have tried it. Tony Bloom. I said to Tony Bloom, get a company and try it, and he 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 invested in a company called Premier Bet, and it never took off. When Tony Bloom and Benham split up, um, Benham Matthew Benham, who's now at Brentford and doing an incredible job, what they what yeah. both what they both done is incredible, um, incredible, um, and he offered me a, a fortune to, to to work and as a sort of PR man to try and get the punters weaned off the three runners mm. into the Asian handicap, and that would have been over 10 years ago now because we, we, you know none of us could understand why, why, why it hasn't taken off with the Asian handicap but it's just the way it is where the, people prefer the, the, the three markets but really it should be all, all handicapped plus or minus Yeah. so there's only two runners and only that five, 4 or 5% but presumably if I found on the internet a Chinese bookies or yeah. Hong Kong bookies then I could open an them and do it straight, and then that that would be it, would it? Yeah, I mean Pinnacle Pinnacle are very good, and but I mean to be fair, on the Premier League, the the, the actual bigger firms, the Labricks, that do do an Asian handicap. It's just that they have it at their sort of prices with about ten percent right, yeah. in. But um, if you did want to to play the Asian handicaps, and I do a lot of mine on, on Betfair, and, and and you you know it's always it's always there if you know where to Is go. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just I'm. I'm sort of quite, quite you know, naive like that. I no, don't, well, I don't to be fair, it. the gambling world has, has been amazed how it hasn't taken off more in the UK. But you know, top men have tried it, and um, so far it, it hasn't taken off. Do you, do you think that the uh, the gambling companies in this country are greedy? Yeah, I mean, um, I do, and obviously closing accounts, etc. But I, I'm currently involved with the takeover of Lifford Grand Stadium because. We're going to have a tote. We're backed by the UK tote, mm. which incidentally is, you know, so transformed in the last 18 months. Previously, the owners, Bet Fred, were giving massive rebates to the number one customer. No one else could win. Yeah. The whole thing was in free fall. 85% of the liquidity was toxic, massive rebaters. And the new CEO has got rid of that rebater and levelled it out. And with tote.co.uk, Punters get 10% bonus, so overnight it's gone from being the worst bet in the world to being one of the best. Right. And, um, you know, I believe that uh, the UK tote in the next few years, because of their low margin ideology, will take off. And Greyhound Race is a prime example. I know it's Bresbet, this new company. Uh, also, they, they're, they're trying to show that Greyhound Racing doesn't have to be a rip-off. Mm. The big firms in England have got industry SP, 30% in their favour, and no one's betting on it because of it. And I fully agree with what Bresbet are trying to do. They're trying to say, look, we can bet with us and you can bet to a different model. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're doing at Lifford. We're going to have a 10% tote. So anyone who comes to the dogs, instead of having, every time they put a tenner on a dog, instead of it being worth seven quid, it's going to be worth nine. Mm. And this is going to have a massive effect on how many people win. And it's going to, not only are we going to be 10% on course, but we're going to be 10% on tote.u.co.uk. So literally, we will have a 10% SP product, which is exactly the sort of thing in a different way that Bresbet are trying to do by saying, look, Grand Racing is a valuable product. 
It's the only sport in the world ever invented for greyhound race, uh, for betting. No, no other sport, every other sport, even Pilotta, which you, you hardly see anywhere now, it was the sport was there before the betting, whereas greyhound racing in the 1920s and 30s was introduced f for betting. And back in the 20s and 30s, the house kept either five or six percent, like all card schools were yeah. a, a, a guinea, a, a dollar in the a shilling in the pound. And the greyhound tracks decided we either we either take that five percent or six one percent per dog, and most of the tracks went with that six percent. And um, for 30, 40 years, the game absolutely flourished, including in England, Wembley, White City. Tracks like that in the 30s were turning over the equivalent of 16 billion a year now. And um, in England, it's gone from 6%. It was fine up until the early 70s, and then it just went so high, up to 14, 15, and now it's over 30. And effectively, in England, every single... It's, it's, it's a house of glass about to collapse, and that's why Bresbet are trying to do something different, trying to offer the punters a bit of value. And um, when we open in March at Lifford, we'll be, we'll be taking it to another level. Right, well, time for another musical interlude, and this one's called Joan of Art, and it's by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark.
Well, there we go. That was Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark and Joan of Arc. You know, you, you seem to have quite good connections in Ireland. Um, how did you get involved with this, uh, this, this dog track down at Donegal? Uh, well, it's... Um... It's it's been closed for two years, which mm. was was a tad bizarre. Bearing in mind that in two thousand and fourteen they spent, I, th I thought it was twelve million, but the grant was twelve million. But they spent sixteen million on a state of the art stand, and then two years ago it, it closed. And you know, to be fair, I <laughs> it's I, when I when I saw the the the, the price of under two million to buy it. I wasn't at all interested, mainly because I was skint, but also because who'd buy a dog track now? But the real clue is the fact that I heard that um, the tote CEO, Alex Frost, was trying to bring low margin dogs. I heard that he was trying to get uh, a 10% model for the Greyhound Derby nearly 18 months ago at Nottingham, and it was all stopped at the last minute. And then, So the combination of the fact, and when I spoke to the tote and said, would you be interested, the fact that they were knowing that we could have that 10% tote instead of, say, in Ireland, it's 25. So um, once the tote had their backing, there's never been a doubt that Lifford's, you know, for me, the best two tracks in Britain were Coventry and Lifford. Mm. And I don't think there's any greyhound people, Charlie Lister included, all the time. Everyone knows that Lifford's the best running track in, in Britain. So um, just really a chance meeting with um it was Gordon Elliott actually the trainer I was spent the morning with Gordon and Jamie Codd just before Cheltenham before, before last and they, they they were their confidence said look you know go and try and do a deal with the Duffies and when I when I when I didn't go down there they they believed in the model as well and they, they offered me a, a, a price that you know was was hard not to say no if I could get the syndicate and get the people together and yeah. fortunately it happened and Despite COVID, we've got we, we you know we, we we managed to put the money together, and and, and buy it, and um, in the knowledge that as a punt goes, even if we even if we never opened, even if we it's a complete failure, we would still more or less get our money back from the value of the land and the property because yeah. the the vendors were, were very generous. So basically, um, that was why um, I was I was so keen to give it a go. But if I'd have known how hard it was to get the license and to do it all, I might have thought twice but now we've come this far and we're ready to go and we, we, we're gonna we're gonna open in march and you know can't wait well well done for that you know so ireland plays a big part in your life though doesn't it i mean it's you know, obviously you, you were going over there with big fella thanks and and you know i was there you know. you're so 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 right i mean i eddie donnelly passed away this last year uh, this year and he was the great character at Clonmel. He's in my book throughout. And I was over at Cork two weeks ago with his brother Terry. And um, Kay says Clonmel will never be the same again. And I did a podcast the week before he died. And I, I said during that podcast that all the best days of my life were in a field in Ireland with Eddie Donnelly. Yeah. And they were in a field with Eddie Donnelly. And they were. And he was next, right next to me in, at Cheltenham when big when. Denver won the Gold Cup. It was my court mates who were right there when Denver won the Gold Cup. So, no, um, the big fella thanks winning Clumwell was the best day of my life, the best night of my life. And, and um, so, no, it's... It, I, and so much of the, the, the contacts made in Ireland with the dogs were helped with the horses. Paul Barber and I had a lot of success with horses from Cork and around there as well. Some of them Paul bought and, yeah. and vice versa. And, uh, no, I, a lot of time for, for Ireland. With with big fella thanks, let, let, let's get on to him because uh, 
I love dogs just as you do. Um, it wasn't just a straightforward greyhound race that he won, was it? That was a derby. He won the, he won the derby at uh, Clonmel. But, of course, the real story is that the year before in the Oaks, we got beat at 7-1 on one of our team. Two of the guys died in a, in a crash on the way on the way back. And, oh, dear. Uh, and it was, it, it, to be honest, it was we wouldn't have been able to purchase Big Fella thanks not for that. And it was, you know, so many. I remember 14,000 people that day in the final. You know, I'm not a religious man, but they are. And there, there was an incredible feeling that if you think it's, it's luckily you can go on YouTube and watch the final because he, he had no chance in the final. He was so badly handicapped with all the work he had to do and how he how he um, how he managed to win. It's uh, was beyond belief. And and uh, you know, there's not a day goes by I don't think of it really. And uh, I don't say that about the Gold Cup, although I, the Gold Cup was a great experience, a lot more pressure, but I, there's only one, ever been one time in my life when I've asked for help in terms of let something happen, and that was that was before that final against Toy Razor because of what happened the year before, and, the, and we, I knew how special it would be. It kind of reminds me of myself in that, uh, being a big Man United fan, and the day that they won the, the treble when they beat... Um, Barcelona. Yeah. Was Matt Busby's birthday. And don't ask me how because we were losing for virtually the whole game until right near the end. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a religious person either, particularly, but you do tend to think occasions like that. And I'm thinking, come on, Matt, you know, do oh, something. No, no doubt. I mean, you know, uh, and it happened. You know, and we talked earlier about Tony Bloom, what he's done at Brighton and Matthew Benham. And, you know, um, because of the tote. Speaking of Benham recently, when when Brentford, when they sang Hey Jude at Brentford the night they beat Arsenal 2-0, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that was his big fella thanks moment. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, I thought that was incredible. I, I, I really do believe what they've done for that. And that, it, it was funny, when the book came out, there was, uh, with Neil Harmon, there was a lot of the journalists were asking about mm. Benham and Tony Bloom. And it's obviously I worked with both of them. And um, when it first started, and uh, now I... Basically, they're just, they were just punters and um, a bit of money ball more with Matthew Benham about how they've operated and what they've done and some of the signings that, that, that they've done. Is, well, it, Brentford in particular. Well, in the signings, I'd say, yeah, yeah. Brentford recently. Yeah. It's funny, Tony McCoy got hold of me at the sales. I was at the sales telling everyone how great the tote is about a month ago. And that was the first thing. That was what Tony Bloom pulled me aside. He said, they're not Tony Bloom, Tony McCoy. He said, that Ben, he said, that ben, he said what they're doing at Brentford, he said. And he mentioned three of the signings, yeah. and he said so and so, so and so, so and so. He said that's inc you know, that's incredible. Oh, it and, is. I think. But yeah, it's ironic though. If you look at Brentford, uh, I mean, you know, they were they were struggling in League Two, League One, what have you, and then we played them at Wembley. Yeah. And we won. When I say yeah, we, Oval Town, Town. Yeah. Yeah, beat them. And now look at it. You've got yeah. know, three or four years on. Brentford are in the Premier League. Absolutely. And Yeovil are struggling in the in the, uh, the yeah. English National League, and it just just shows you how one person has come in and he's he's applied a different sort of oh. method of getting the players in that. Because I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what he does, but I know it's different to what most people do. Yeah. And look at them; they're, they're flying high. Okay, he lost Saturday, but I mean, you know, that was. Uh, no, it's uh, no. It's, I mean, I grew up. My. Early seventies was was Wickham Wanderers, and of course Wickham yeah. and Yeovil were the two yeah. teams with a slope pitch who used to run right in the yeah. FA Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Um, 
you know, that's that was Wickham Wanderers home in a way. I was when I couldn't go. It was either Chelsea or Wickham every Saturday. Yeah. And um, no, and I, 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 remember, I remember I remember it well. But uh, Brentford, I remember being at Brentford for the FA Amateur Cup with Wickham Wanderers when Hendon beat them one 0 Yeah. And I promise you, I was banging line with a goal, and it was four yards offside. <laughs> I remember turning around to my father and saying, "Dad, don't worry." He's five five yards offside. Oh, we didn't have VIR. Oh, there was no VIR. <laughs> it was there was like a moat around the old Brentford ground, and then he fell in the moat. Yeah. I just I was just waiting from. It was so badly offside. Wickham had some terrible luck in the amateur cup, in the amateur cup, but I mean that was that was that was my my I think my love of travel started with the overnight coach trips to watch Wickham away when you left you left with the gas station at Wickham <laughs> at five pm yeah, the night before yeah, as yeah, a yeah. as a twelve thirteen year old. Talking to fans all the way up and oh. having a fried breakfast at the services at three a.m. I just thought it was great. But it's, it's <laughs> ironic that that uh, Yeovil Town is up for sale, and a few or what would it be? There must be probably it might be two years. I'm thinking about it. But an American guy was all in to buy Yeovil Town, and it was going on, and we all thought it was going to happen. Yeah. In the end, it didn't. And the next thing you know, he's bought in, and he's bought. Uh, he's the new chairman. Well, I say new. He's been there for a couple of years now at, at Wickham. Oh right, I didn't know. So that, yeah. you know, it's funny how they sort of come yeah. together. All so the then, two teams again, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's them again, sort of thing. But it's, uh, but um, talking of teams and and cricket, what's the story then about the, you and, and the Test team, Australian Test team? Tell us about. Oh, well, that. the Test team it was a one-day international, and uh, we were just in the hotel room when the the shame. It was it was it was the um, Glenn McGrath who said that they've decided to have a one. Thirteenth man, and um, you, you you bid for it, and I just knew in my heart of hearts it would never ever happen again. It was obviously I met the woman whose idea it was, yeah. and she came up with this idea to get some money for charity, and I just knew that no ever again was anyone going to be allowed into the inner sanctum of a yeah. of a national sports team. And I just said to my mate Bradley, make sure on top of that pile when that auction closes. Yeah. And of course the Aussie cricketers were. The Aussie Cricket Association were hoping it was going to be some twelve-year-old from Queensland yeah. who's uh, who's been treated by his wealthy father to a thing in the bar. But I, I, you know, I, I uh, I'll never forget David Boone's face when I mean I think the the, the morning of the match, um, I met Andrew Simmons and he crushed my hand and said behave <laughs> said behave yourself uh, was a good way to start. But I had met Simo, but I met a few of them before. Uh, in Sri Lanka, which made it a little bit easier, but um, no, it was it was such an eye opener that day, and I never forget thinking at half time um, they took the phone off me before the match started. David Boone mentions it in the books. I think, I think in fact we took the phone off him before the before the game started yeah. because I think they got got wind of what I might, what what job I had before it before it started. Oh, you could have a well, I was the a, game then. a punter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we're only going back. I don't know how many years it might have been, 15 years, but literally there was nothing said at halftime, was it? I mean, it was played on a football pitch. It was played the first ever match on a in a new stadium in, in, in Melbourne. And I genuinely, the score the score that, that, that they got, that the Aussies had got, I, I knew it was value for much, much more. So at halftime, I'm expecting them all to be saying, this is, you know, this is, this 237 or whatever is worth much more and we're certainties and probability and all that, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Cricketers are so different to any other team. They're just all on the all in their own world. Bowl. It's just like I said. I learned more about cricket and the mentality and what goes on with cricket. They're all playing for themselves, times whatever. Hard to believe, really. But literally, just before going out, 
Ricky, Ricky Ponting said, no, we've lost the last two limited over matches. Nobody, but we've lost the last two games against wherever it is, South Africa, I think it was. Um, nobody beats Australia three times on the trot. I remember thinking, this is, this is all they're going to say about the total before they go out. About, and now look, five years later, five years after that, You've got statisticians, computers, oh, laptops, yeah. Yeah. you know, and how it, from, from literally, no, I remember thinking that day, have they not got someone in here showing them what, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and I, I was just absolutely amazed by it. And so much of that day, I said in the book, it was like I'd, I'd done a real good work down the pit and it felt like that. I didn't feel like it was a treat, but I felt like I was, you know, I, I learned a lot that day and, um, and I enjoyed it and, um, we got the money on the match, and uh, that's about it, really. But I knew what I would have done was bet one oh one that it never happened again, and it's never happened again. And and did you actually? You went out on the on the pitch and. Oh, I, mean, took I, part I, of the game. I know, not take part in the game. I was the thirteenth man, so oh, right, I, yeah. you know it was a, it was it was it was uh, I've never played cricket in my life. I faced one ball, but um, no, I was in the dressing room for the whole day and yeah. in the dugout, yeah. and it was at the to I was at the toss and met both captains and I met Johnny Rhodes before he was a legend anyway and. Glenn McGrath was just the nicest. I mean, it's a known fact, but I mean, what? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the cricketers spent on their own. I had lunch on my own with Greg, like for twenty minutes chatting away, and just what a lovely, lovely fellow he is. Just exactly yeah. what you'd what you'd think. And a lot of people, you know, he's got word of. He's a great guy. That one there, that that picture there, you see it signed by is is holy shit. As far as I'm concerned, I yeah. think he's great. What a lovely man. Wally. Yeah. He's, yeah, but he's too nice. Yeah, really. And I've I never think met him. you know where we are now with this. Yeah. This, you know, it's just a disaster at the moment. But he's he's such a nice guy. Now he was him and Eric Cantona were my, my heroes. And when I worked at Yeovil, Darren Way, who was the manager at the time, uh, he had a, a benefit game because he was in a car smash and it finished his career basically. And we went and he said to me, "Do you want to come up to Carrington?" Because we're going. Up. I said, cool. Do I want to to bear shit the bloody yeah. Of course I do. So I come up with him, and I met Michael Owen. I got that one there. That's, that's me at Carrington with Michael Owen. But but Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer was, he was a sort of bloke, a bit like yourself. In that I, I I kind of I've only met you today, and yet I kind of think you know yeah. we're, we're, we're friends. You, you just got that that appeal to him. Yeah. But he's too nice, and I think that's one of the problems we've got at Man United at this precise moment. He's too nice. Yeah. And sadly, he's going to lose his job. I think it's inevitable. But what a lovely bloke. Yeah. And and I think, you know, when you you must have found it with meeting all these Australians and golfers that you've met, and all I said, we talk about golf in a minute. Um, you know, when you actually meet them, some of them, some are great, some are not so good. And there's been a few that I've met that I thought, yeah, you know, you're too far up your own rear end to, yeah. to matter. But he was one of the best, really. Yeah, um, yeah smashing bloke. Time for another one of Harry's favourite tracks. And this time we have got Mr David Bowie in Life on Mars. It's a god-awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view 
And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on singers Fighting in the dance hall on Mars. Now, you, I know you've got a passion for golf, um, Harry, uh, and you've you've at times been, uh, you know, at five o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning, whatever time the, the British Open kicks off, you've been there. Um, tell us about your passion for golf and how, how you got into that. Oh, I just, um, well, I, I'm t- t- starting to play a little bit again now and I'm still the worst player in the world, <laughs> but um, I'll play with some of the best in practice rounds, but... Um, no, I, I've, I just the first. My dad was always a golf fan. He was a big Jack Nicklaus fan. So as a young boy, I remember watching the Open. But going, the first tournament I went to at Wentworth in um, going to live, like a lot of sports, like when you first go to football, we going to a golf tournament live. Um, 
you know, I just, I'd only been in the course about 10 minutes and walked past Greg Norman, who was like a yeah. superstar. And yeah. just the whole day, I just, I, I would have been quite happy to be a caddy for the rest of my life after one day at Wentworth. And yeah. I found the golf very addictive. I found the world match play as it was then at Wentworth and yeah. the early morning starts. And they'd literally be at the scoreboard. You could bet seven to four on or lay seven to four on. And there was money trading hands, cash to cash. It was like a mini bet fair at the, at the scoreboard before you go out and watch and you go out the 18 holes and come back and have a bit of lunch and then same again in the afternoon. As a as a young man, that was just that was just and of course there was so little live sport on TV. So the Wentworth, you know, the Wentworth yeah. World Match Play was a big was a big betting thing, and the British Open, the match bets and all that. And uh, I mean, the last three St Andrews, every five years they have the Open at. Um, St Andrews and we've had a house there full of mates and uh, especially when Tiger won it that was that was a great time but of all the sporting events I've been to in my life the, the week at St Andrews is the most bubbled closed off bubble you know literally nobody outside of nobody cares about anything else other than the British Open yeah. and that one week at St Andrews was, all the straight goers sell their houses and rent them out for the week all the ones who don't want nothing to do with golf have all buggered off. The only ones who keep their houses are the golf nuts themselves. So you really have an absolutely a golf town yeah. for one week, and it's just all about the open, the practice rounds, and I've m great memories. And you know, I remember a couple of years at the open, we knew when Tiger Woods was teeing off and when he had them early starts before a lot of people, and it was just fantastic. How many, uh, you know, of the sort of leading golfers have you did you meet or you know have? Oh, well, I was quite good mates with Chubby, so Chubby, Chubby knew knew, knew quite a lot of them. And I, would, I was, we went to South Africa a few a few winters on the trip, you know, before during a part on that. So we, so I met I met quite a lot of them really, mm. and um, you know, a lot of them are very, you know, they're like, they're, they're, you know, like tennis players, golfers. Most of them are, are a lot sort of not tougher, but they're a lot. You know, like Tim Henman, I get on well with Henman. I think Henman's an absolute legend yeah. uh, for so many reasons. And people talk about him, you know, like as if he's a stuck-up, like, and, he, you know, he doesn't, you know, and Henman's an absolute... I've never known anyone, you mentioned earlier, doesn't suffer fools gladly. If you say anything stupid in Henman's company, he'll tear your head off. And he can, you know, he's just, you know... Yeah. Quite often golfers, and a lot of them are, are quite, you know, strong characters and all that. Yeah, and yeah. that comes with the territory. Yeah. I think I would be if I could... I'd dread to think what I'd be like if I could go on a golf course at 65. Yeah, but and again, you know, you, you, you could say that, but you, I'm sure if if I was sort of supposedly technically minded and knew all about betting, yeah. and I started throwing facts at you that weren't yeah. accurate, you'd soon tell me yeah. you're wrong. No, I, but I just think in a sporting sense, knowing, I do think I understand how the top sports stars, I've got no talent myself, but I do think I understand how the very top sports stars think. And I do have to admit, um, unflatteringly, that if I was a superstar, I think I'd be a bit like Bristow. And yeah, I, yeah I'd, I mean, I'd be nice to say that I'd be like someone at, like like the real yeah. good winners are. But no, I think if I was, I think I've always thought that. And I, I, I used to, I used to like Bristow, for different ways. And I met Eric and that, and and um, I got to within 110 playing. Yeah, him. I played him in Crookham. Yeah, did you really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric was a real, real lad. I mean, he was a yeah. he was heavyweight. I, I mean, I got on the right side of him straight away. For you know, I got the opportunity to. But he, he was full bore, Eric. But he uh, there was a lot. There was there was there was a lot to learn from Eric, and, and certainly Phil the Power Taylor learned a lot from him. Yeah, yeah. 
I tell you who else I've played in Crooken at um, dropping names, Bob Bob Anderson as well. Yeah, I'd, he, yeah. He, was, he was good. He was he was a nice guy. I was a big darts fan when Bob when before the players because I worked with Sky for a bit. That's how I knew the dart players. Yeah, but I remember going to the um, the World Championships when Bristow played Jockey Wilson. And yeah. they were they were literally hitting one eighties, one eighties, one forty, one eighty, yeah. and literally the, the chandeliers were bouncing, the chandeliers were bouncing, and yeah. I, I just thought that was fantastic. Oh, it he, was. He, he had so I know he was I know what he's like, Eric, but he, what he was like, but he had some charisma on on, yeah. on, on, on on the stage. Eric did. No, he's a nice bloke too. He was, you know, he was. <laughs> Denman. 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 Won the gold cup. Man. Harry, Come do on. you want to buy a horse? Mm. That was Paul Barber who rang me up. He said, "Do you want to buy a horse?" How did you get to know Paul Barber? You know, to to that he would have rung you up in the first place. Then did you um, know him or no? I was Kevin Ball, the singer. His brother, yeah, bought a horse. I was completely. I was working with Tony Bloom, and I was training dogs with Don Cuddy. So I hadn't seen a racehorse for. I hadn't seen Cheltenham for two years. I was doing no horses at all. Um, <clears throat> literally. So anyway, this guy, this. Um, Michael Ball taught me Kevin Ball taught me into Michael Ball's brother taught me into buying a leg in this horse which was down at Paul Barber's yeah. uh, down at Paul Nichols and then Paul Barber found out about it and the syndicate wherever was being messed around and Paul Barber said look I'll, if you want you can run it in my colours and that, that's how I met Paul Barber right. through him and that was that was the only reason why we, to be honest I even got involved with horses because my mother was retired as a nurse and she was doing private nursing, but that had to stop. And she was doing nothing with the time. And I thought to go and drive and meet people like Paul Barber. I said to Paul, look, if you do find two, a couple of horses to literally from mum to go and have a day out. And that's literally how it started. Mm. Two, what LinkedIn lad was one of them and another one. And no one, my name was not mentioned. la di da di da And it wouldn't have been mentioned. But then along come Denman. And um, so lucky to get Denman. As always, in you know, Henrietta Knight should have bought Denman. Henrietta Knight's a legend, big mate with Mick Channon, who's yeah, a legend, yeah. as you know. And Henrietta Knight fell in love with Denman, but he'd had a wind operation, he'd been hobdate, and that's, that was a no go for Henrietta. I think she had, actually had a picture of Denman in a thing, and she, she, you know, I haven't spoken to her about it, but I think that she must have massive regrets about not buying Denman. And there was two or three others as well. Top owners who would have had a chance to buy him, yeah. but the fact that they'd had a wind up, they'd had a wind up, the wind up, put them off, and that wouldn't make any difference to Paul Nichols. Paul Nichols gives as soon as they make a noise, Paul Nichols gives them a wind up. Yeah. So uh, that didn't put him off, and it was Paul and the two Pauls that were looking at him, and Nichols bought him as he as, as Adrian McGuire bought him out of the hut, uh, the shed or whatever, <laughs> the stable or whatever, brought him out to look at him. Paul Nichols said, "Yeah, I'll have him." And Nick and Barb was behind him and said, oh, no, you won't, I'm having him. And um, he rang me and said, do you want to buy, do you want to buy Den Arthur Denman for 60 grand? I said, it's a, it's, said, it's a hairbrush, isn't it? He said, no, no, it's a point-to-point horse. He said, but la di da da So it's one of mine, great big horse, lovely lot. I said, yeah, I'm in. And that, that was that was the start of it. So he was bought initially as a point-to-point horse? Well, he'd, he'd, he'd run oh, in a point-to-point. He'd, yeah. he'd, he'd run a point-to-point and Maguire... Adrian McGuire told everyone he was a machine. Yeah. And uh, all the faces went to see him. But like I said, the wind up, the wind up put the faces off. Mm, mm. But I mean, wind ups these days are a, Yeah, well, I mean, it's, common, it's, aren't it's, they? yeah, we're going back 12, 12 years. So yeah. there would be a, a bit more, um, a bit more reticence about buying all sort of wind up maybe then. But certainly even then, Nichols was, Nichols was, it didn't, it wouldn't have put Nichols off. Um, 
in the slightest, whereas Henry at night, who just won three gold cups with best mate, and uh, yeah. and you know it's funny how things happen. I mean, people talk about me in Denman. I we didn't say about it, but, but I bought I had long run bought for three hundred and twenty grand, done the deal and everything. And the only reason I didn't get my hands on a long run is they come back and said that we had to keep it in France for two more years, and I couldn't give it to Paul Nichols. I was going to give him that as a I was going to give him long run as a three year old. So, <laughs> I might, you know, if Denman had broke his heart, I might have won seven gold cups, and then that would have killed people. But that's what you know, there's, there's always there's a story behind every horse, every good horse, and um, that's how lucky we were. That's how lucky we were with Denman. And and what you know, what memories have you got of, of the actual race now? Of the actual Looking race back, itself, yeah, the gold cup. Just being proud of Paul Barber, how strong he was about the tactics. There was a non-runner on the day, and that was part of our plans. And I just remember seeing Paul quite early at Cheltenham and looking at him and he said I said you know and he said don't worry everything's taken care of and in, high, in hindsight in hindsight I think that we didn't need to go that fast and I genuinely I genuinely think anyone who knows about race, National One Racing if you the, the, the Gold Cup that Denman won if you stop the race when they come down the hill turning for home in the final time I think if you'd have said bet the distance I'd have bet Denman to win by over 40 lengths would you? Yeah. yes and I think he broke his heart during that race and uh, I thought it at the time and I'm not saying he broke his heart at the time but when he crossed the line he was wobbling was he? Say he was wobbling yeah. he yeah. was wobbling and Sam and I honestly believe that um, I honestly believe that um, no one will never I mean he, he won a Hennessy after that mm. I mean and the, if you compare any any horses you know I just I, I think that, um, he, he, you know, and it's not just me. I mean, Lester Piggott is still the greatest now. He's, he's, he's still right. He still turns up at Kenilworth. He turns up at Gold Cups. Even Mick Channon, I see he's on his thing. He's got him and his wife and Lester Piggott, mm. the greatest ever. And, and he thinks yeah. that he thinks that Denman, he thinks that Denman would 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 have destroyed any other national one horse we've ever seen if it hadn't, if that hadn't have happened. Really? And uh, and who knows but just being a part of him as he was was fantastic but yeah. um after so would you go so far as to say that in your opinion and then obviously horse racing is all about opinions he was the best ever you know gold cup horse yeah i i, I have I, the gold cup i think was absolutely perfect for denman gold cup's not three gold, gold cup's three miles two it's not it's three you have to stay three and a half miles to win a gold cup yeah. There's no. I mean, the arc was two miles. I think that's two mile three. Um, and if they were both at their best, Corto Star couldn't get anywhere near Denman over three and a quarter miles at Cheltenham. By the same token, we couldn't get anywhere near Corto. Maybe even the Leicester Piggott Denman might not have beaten Corto Star flat out around three miles around Kenton. Yeah. But that's that, that's that's not the point. If you're asking about Cheltenham Gold Cup, I think that I think he beat Chel I think he beat Corto Star that day. With literally like you know not not being who he was, and I think the the Sun Alliance the year before against Aces Four was just breathtaking pace and, and and everything. And you look at when he rode when when Ruby rode Denman in the Lexus, and I was screaming because he rode Denman in the Lexus and he held him up and held him up to see how much speed he really had. Mm. And he, Denman jumped the last in the Lexus like three quarters of a length in front of like four or five horses when really. If Ruby had put pace in the race, he'd have been four in front two out. And I've got little Danita. I mean, I've got my brains on Denman at four, and I know where it was. But Denman still won, and he, still, and still, still Ruby 
when we caught her, and I thought he would, and that's why I just thought the ride was a little bit. But he was, to be fair, he was finding out just how much speed and how good Demon really was. You, you said a minute ago, you know, broke his heart. Did you mean by that that that, that particular race, because he'd been held back so much, that the horse itself kind of lost heart? No, no, no. I mean, when, no, we broke his heart when he, when he was going to when, he, when we went so fast in that Gold Cup when Neptune Colonge led, and we took it up and we really served it up to Corto Star. Because we knew we'd stay the three and a quarter miles. We knew that Corto didn't stay three and a quarter miles. He won gold cups, but he, on class. He's not, a, yeah. you know. So the more pace we put into the race, the less chance Corto Star had. And looking back on it, I just think that, you know, if we had our time again, we, we, we'd have won anyway and wouldn't have had to go quite so fast. But at the time, I was more than proud and happy to be a, a part of part of it. More music this time. It's Richard Ashcroft and the drugs don't work. All this talk of getting home It's getting me down, my love Like a cat in a bag Waiting to drown This time I'm coming down And I hope you're thinking of me is you let down on your side Now the drugs don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again Now the drugs don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again But I know I'm on a losing streak Is that past down my old street And if you want to show Then just let me know now Sing in your ear again Now the drugs don't work They just make you but I know I'll see your face again And baby If heaven calls I'm coming to Just like you said You leave my life I'm better
Richard Ascroft and the drugs don't work. What about your wife? She must have been through the ringer, I should think, on occasions, hasn't she? Yeah, 30, 31 years now. Um, we actually only got married in Australia about three, four years ago, but God, it was a great wedding. Um, thanks to Cross Counter winning the, um, winning the Melbourne Cup. Um, but no, 31 years we've been together. Um, yeah, she has. I mean, I mentioned, I think, in the book that my girlfriend before, my, my initial girlfriend, Carol, was a, Carol was a great girl. And when I was in Brighton, and she would have been seven, eight years older than me, and, um, you know, she was the one who had a monthly wages on the cricket teams that got beat, and she was the one who, you know, yeah. had it a bit more tougher than Kay. Um, I often look back when, when the early times with Kay, the big results, how crucial they were, and... You know, amazing, amazing luck. But I remember when 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 the book came out, um, the day it came out, we had a meeting and the, the girl who's in charge of the publicity and all this, the PR, she said, I'm not a gambler. She said, but I've read the book, she said, and all I can say is that your mother and your wife are two incredible, strong women. And that, that was great for me because that, that was... My mum died shortly after the book and she was badly wrong with the BHA, worse than me. I can't even tell you what... They done it well with a tax thing. It was vile. It, it really was personal vendetta, heavy stuff. Yeah. And, if, and it, my mum was, when I was bad, my mum was even there for me then. And I'm so glad that 
before she died, I turned the corner and she read the book and all she said was, I got one of the addresses wrong or something or the thing, but she was, you know, my mum was, my mum was a great woman and very popular. So many, so many men my age, but like she was a mum for more than two sons. She was a, she was a great woman, especially if you were a man. And I think that's why Paul Barber liked her. I think that's why I got a lot of people like, you know, you talked about Nick Schofield, what a lovely lad he is, jump traders. And I, Richard Johnson, my mum had a few horses with Philip Hobbs. We had early horses with Philip yeah. Hobbs. And Richard, the way Richard Johnson and Mick Fitzgerald and people like that used to treat my mum at the races was, because I very rarely went. I, I, I very rarely went. I liked watching them at home. Yeah. And um, it wasn't just owning the good horses. It was knowing that my mum was going to places like Wincanton and Chepstow and getting treated. You know, my mum's friend, Anne, who's been great with me in recent years she 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 got some kick out of it as well and and my brother would, would, he was, they, they, they never cut the cord my mother and my brother and um a few years he spent going driving her to race courses and going and winning Sc scottish grand nationals and that was great but you know women generally and i'm being a bit general here but i mean i know what my wife's like when it comes to betting they must have been two exceptionally uh, unusual women shall we say in the coming you know, if I have a, oh, you're wasting your money again, you wasting yeah. your money, you know. I mean, it's, that I would think is, uh, I'm not exactly, you know, putting them in a box, but but I would say that generally speaking, women do have that sort of approach to men having a bet. It's, yeah. You're going to lose your money there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to have your mother and, and, and your wife and everybody that sort of, because she, it's like not me putting a tenner on, you're putting yeah. 100 quid on or whatever. And I mean, well, just like, I mean, I, I am... That's luck. I mean, Kay, Kay was Kay's the, the last of three kids. She's yeah. always had hand-me-downs. And her mother was very frugal. Her grandmother was like me, a spender, a borrower and all this, and owed all the neighbours a few quid. And throughout her mum's life, all she, she was never going to own a penny. She was always going to... She was never going to... She was more than frugal. And that, that had an effect on Kay. And one of Kay's philosophies growing up as a very young kid was that when she's older... She's never going to worry about money, so that was that was just luck. Larry, I'm going to bring it to an end fairly shortly. Um, looking back on your life so far, and yeah. you're still going strong, I'm pleased to say. Um, what would you say has been the the best moment that you can think of in, oh, in your life? With you know, oh, when big, when big fella thanks won 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 the Derby by by such a long way. Um, just the, because of what happened with the boys and because, <clears throat> you know, Denman won the Gold Cup, but I never, ever, ever, ever thought ever have a, have a Gold Cup horse. And for like seven, eight years, I'd just tried to win a trial stake to get to Clonmel. I didn't even think about winning the Derby. All I ever thought about was winning a 32-dog trial stake to get to the Derby. Um, I remember Jimmy Barry Murphy, who's a pal of mine now, he's been helping me so much with Lifford, with Lifford and he, he is a sporting legend. And uh, he had a dog telematic lady in the quarter final of the Oaks. And I remember looking at him, he's gone going back 20 odd years now. And I remember looking at Jimmy Barry Murphy when she got beat half a length in the quarter final of the Oaks. And I remember thinking, imagine owning a dog in the quarter final of the Oaks, you know, and, yeah. and, and then to, to go so close with Jay's Lemon, then win with Big Fella. And I really can't explain to the people who weren't there that day just what an experience it was. So, you know, even if Denman had fallen in the last in the Gold Cup 10 clear, within 
a millisecond of Denman falling, I'd have thought, well, the one time you are, the one time you really needed it, you, you, you had the result when Big Fella won. So, in answer to that, um, Big Fella, thanks. And and in terms of proud and anything, Jay's dilemma, who got beat the, the, the year before, she got beat in the Oaks final at seven on desperate. When she won the Court Cup the following year, she come back to running the Court Cup against all age dogs. She was a bitch. And she won against Man of Slain in the Court Cup at Blarney. And um, there'd be a hardcore group of coursing men that day in Blarney. And we all knew it was Man of Slain, top white and fawn dog against the unlucky bitch from last year, Jay's Dilemma. And the betting was evens each or two on the, on the stand. Evens each or two. And Jay's Dilemma beat... Um, Jay's Dilemma beat Man of Slain, two and a half, three lengths. Absolutely awesome bitch she was. And afterwards I went out and we were always hands on with the dog and Dennis had done the dog and she was a blue, beautiful, beautiful blue bitch and he put the red jacket on her and he said, you walk her in to get the trophy or whatever. And I, went, and I walked into Blarney, the sun was coming down and that was a great moment. And there was, I'm not a trophy man, but this was like a golf ball glass crystal trophy, the court cup. And that was Eddie Donnelly again in the field with Eddie Donnelly, and that that was a real that was a real special moment. It never had the the thing of the dar the derby, but that was real coursing people in Blarney watching the Court Cup, and I I, I, I often think of that moment as one of my favourites. Right, the final musical track coming up, and it's called Park Mihi Domain by the Hilliard Ensemble.
There we go. That was Park Mihi Domain by the Hilliard Ensemble. Forgive my ignorance, but what is coursing? Coursing is the, 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 the red against the white collar, one dog against another. Oh, and just, oh, yeah, and straight after this interview, you can put it, big fella thanks, YouTube, and you'll see the final against Toy Razor, which everyone knows is the, the greatest course that's ever took place in, ever. And yeah. um, big fella thanks was four to one against to win the derby at the start of the tournament with 64 dogs, and he was four to one against in the final. And he still won. And yes, and in running when he led, I thought there was a chance he'd lead and. There was a chance he'd lead, I thought, but when Toy Razor loomed up and actually went a neck in front of him, Big Fella Thanks would have been a 500 to 1 chance in running, but he fought back and um, that was that was it. And we were in the pub that night, in the pub of the, the sister of the brother who died, Jack Pat who died, yeah, yeah. Um, and Mickey Murphy died, and we were in her sister, that, that pub, that pub, pub till sort of 6 in the morning, the next morning when we, when we went back to the hotel and... Um, I remember speaking to Nolo Driscoll, Dennis's father, and saying, you know, every day it gets better. And it does, it gets more special. And so many people, for so many people, that was a, that was a special moment. But for me, it was the best. Uh, and I suppose this is a pretty obvious question to ask, and it's probably going to be a pretty obvious answer. But if you could undo anything in your life so far, would it be the, the World Cup or would it be something different? Oh, no, it wouldn't be the World Cup. It's quite funny because I had two... We would talk about the World Cup, but... Even more stressful, you know, and not many people know this, but we checked the, the dates and that. Two and a half months later, um, Federer played in Nadal at Wimbledon. Yeah. And I had 2.2 on, on Federer. Did you? Because Nadal had played, it took him four days to win one round, and I thought he was injured, and they met in the final, and Federer was twenty-two, And I told Tony Bloom to have the biggest bet of his life. I said, I'll make Federer 14 the one on, I think it's the biggest. I'll just... I'll just, I'll just Gave Rafa absolutely no chance that particular day, and it ended up going to five. Ended up going to five sets. Yeah. And at three, t at two all in the third. R R bloody Federer had a row with the the the, the, the Hawkeye. I mean, when Hawkeye first came out, all Roger yeah. Federer was doing was screaming. I said, Roger, you're the best player in the world. How can you not like Hawkeye? You're completely mad. But anyway, nearly cost me that money because he got upset about Hawkeye. All of a sudden. Break point Nadal outside inside shot his favourite shot break point that'd have been another and then we we might we might not be here now if and I yeah. uh, if if Nadal plays that shot and um, how did Nadal miss it and then Federer wins the fifth set and I was literally change of ends I was so sure that Federer would win I can't tell you and I was so sure but once it had gone two sets all I don't want to so I was literally dropping sixty grand every change of ends I was get cutting it down cutting it down yeah. cutting it down. Um, but then luckily Federer got the break and, and won. But um, I've never ever fancied anything like that to, to, the, to, to the same degree since. And when I did, it was Melbourne Storm and, 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 they, and they won. And um, no, I've always been a believer that if you really fancy, fancy something strong, as a punter through life, I've always believed that you, you've got to have it on your, 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 naps, your naps or your maximums, yeah. as long as it's not Hill Blacks that year. <laughs> So, so what now for Harry Finlay then? Well, I, I think the I think the Lifford thing is enormous. I think that Greyhound Racing has been abused as a betting as abused as a betting product, especially by the English bookmaker, especially by ignorance of how, how the game. You know, football punters are betting the three and four percent. Who's going to bet on Greyhound Racing at thirty percent? 
That's why that's why Bresbet are getting involved in dogs yeah. and saying, look, these are better odds because that's what I'd be doing if I was, was yeah. at a betting company like that. But I'm involved with the toe. I'm involved with Alex Frost, the CEO, who genuinely understands what low margin betting is. If you've got an account with tote.co.uk now and you're on the website, ask the last Whirlpool day, it was 102, 104, 100% betting. It's better value than Betfair. It's better value than anything. And this is from a tote that 12 months ago was the biggest rip-off in the world with massive rebates to one punter. But not, and and I, I think that the, the, the horse tote in the next two or three years will will be a big... Hopefully, Lifford will you know, show him how to do it, but there's no reason why... My, my belief is that the pubs and clubs in Ireland... Are, they, they don't, in Australia, the tote model's a massive success at 14% takeout. All the pubs, clubs all over Queens and Australia, they have the tote. They're now taking £9 million on one greyhound meet in Wentworth on a Saturday night with 14%. We're going to have Lifford at 10 that's a massive difference between 10 and 14. The rest of the country is 25. But I believe that the tote, the UK tote, we've already sponsored the Galway Festival. We're getting into Lifford, and there's no reason why in three or four years, with everyone keeps talking about this cashless society, why can't the tote in Ireland be in those pubs, be in the horse and jockey at Thurley's and in the black cow at Dublin, and not a Paddy Power and a Labbrook's outside charging you 15% for your football and charging you 20% for your horses and 30% for your dogs. No, just one tote in the pub. In Ireland, you don't even need to put the, the systems in like you do in Australia. I don't can't remember the last time I was at a pub in Ireland that don't have racing, RUK and things. Yeah. So literally, you've got a little monitor with a credit card, two roast dinners, two pints of Guinness, tender on the jackpot and six quid on trap six. Yeah. 10% takeout. I believe that's the future. Yeah, yeah. So... You carry on betting, though. Oh, 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 oh every, every. I bet the Aussie dogs this morning. I bet my horses. I, I, I just can't not bet. I just love. It. I'm on Max Verstappen for the for the World Championship. I was on him big yesterday in Mexico, yeah. and uh, he's a certainty now. And I, I've, you know, I, I loved the Grand Prix outright as a kid because there was no race on a Sunday, no football on a Sunday. So that's where I learned about the Grand Prix. And um, yeah. I haven't missed a kick this year. I haven't missed a. I, I just think it's. Lewis and the Max, I just think it's been an absolute war, and I mean a war. And um, no, I think it's been, I've, I've found every session, even every practice session, I find exciting. And um, I actually think so, so exciting. I think if you look back in gambling, if I, I if you know, I'm, I don't even drive, I can't even drive a car, but I wouldn't mind being in one of those strategy teams. You know, I, I'm, I, I, I enjoy, I, I'm enjoying the Grand Prix. Like a lot of sport, I'm enjoying it now more than ever. So, final question. I'm a Man United fan, as you can see by the pictures on the wall, or the shirts on the wall. I was hoping you weren't going to ask me this, but carry yeah. on. Come on, who's going to be the next manager then? Because it seems probably inevitable that poor Ole's going to finish. Who would you, who would you, who would you make your favourite to be the new manager? Oh, I don't know, but I, I, I honestly, hand on my heart, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want the job. I honestly wouldn't want the job. I just, no. I, and I think that, I, I think that Man City game, I think Man City, but I mean, I'd listen, <laughs> last three years I've done my money on Man City for the Champions League I'm on this year coupled with Bayern Munich but buttons I've done my money fair and square on Man City for that Champions League but at times I think they look nigh and unplayable and Liverpool the last two times I've been to see them live the pace they when, when they come on the Italian when I was, I was there when they beat Roma in, the, in a couple of years 18 months ago and the pace they've got going forward I, I, can't, I can't have United I can't have them at any price and I 
the Cannon Eye goal killed me the other, they're not Cannon Eye, what's his name, Ronaldo goal again the other night, that killed yeah. me. Uh, the 3-2 goal, that killed me. Um, but no, I can't, I, 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 it's not a job. I see Brendan Rodgers is 8-11 to 11 now with, with the firm, so that means he's about a 5-4 to four chance, 11 away against chance in reality, I suppose. But uh, no, I wouldn't want the job. Well, all I can say, Harry, is thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's been an eye-opener. It's taught me a lot. And when I sit back and play this back now, I'm gonna, I'll probably be rigging you up. Cut, cut, cut a lot of it out. <laughs> I'll probably be rigging you up and saying, "What the hell does that mean, Harry?" <laughs> no, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been absolutely brilliant. So, uh, and best of luck with the new race uh, track over in Ireland. And uh, if I'm ever over in Ireland, I've been once to Ireland, kill Kenny. Yeah. Um, but if got a track uh, there, yeah. Yeah. If if ever I. Uh, do get the way, I shall ring you up so I'm coming to the dogs. Yeah, well, it's a good spot. It's, it's on the border of Donegal and uh, in, in Donegal, right on the Irish, right on the border. And uh, 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 all the golfers go there. They all, all Tiger Woods and all his mates, all the golf yeah. course, right, right near there. It's a lovely part of the world. Great. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a and you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. No space to in this town. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. Thank you.